upon their lives, Father. And Father, we just pray that you will meet the needs here at this church, God. And Lord God, those that are giving, Lord God, that you will find a way for them to meet their need, Father God. Lord God, we thank you for this, for, for, for the givers, Lord God. Bless them, Lord God. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. It is my privilege and honor to present you evangelist Jerry Walker is going to bring the for, bring the word forth tonight. We're so glad that brother Jerry is, is going to have an awesome word that God has given in his heart to give to the body. Amen. So just give him a hand. Amen. Yes, we did. Thank you. Brother Jerry. Thank you, Apostle Birdo. Give it up for Apostle Birdo. Called to the nations. Amen. Everybody turn with me. You see the... the uh, the scripture verse on your screen, Luke 10, 25. We're going to talk about the second greatest commandment of Jesus. How, uh, how many know it? Shout it out. Second greatest commandment. Love people. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm just going to get into this. Luke 10, verse 25. Say amen if you're there. All right. And for those who don't know me, a lot of you do know me, but uh, I'm Jared. Uh, I'm one of the deacons here. I've been saved. Almost four years, God just took a hold of my life. I'm in the Bible college now. I've never been the same since. Went from a life of misery and depression and self-loathing, just, just a horrible, horrific upbringing. And, and you know, God turning it 180 degrees around. And uh, if you've if you got any questions, if you want to ask me what God's been doing, I'm married now. God's been blessing me tremendously. So, you know, if you, if you want to talk to me, just, uh, just meet me after service, all right? We're going to go to Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Verse 27. He answered, love the Lord. Everyone say, love the Lord. Your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor. Everyone say, love your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. Amen. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Turn to your neighbor and say, ask, are you my neighbor? Is that you, neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Come on, somebody. We're, we're going to get back to this passage in a minute, but that's, that's the, the crux of our message here tonight. The question, who is my neighbor? And the short answer is everybody's your neighbor. So you're going to love everybody as you love yourself. Amen. And we're just going to talk just a bit. I, I just want to uh, give you some witnesses from Scripture about how keen God is on loving other people. Check this out. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. So if you love somebody, you can cover over as many sins as they have, may have committed. You can forgive those. That's what Peter is teaching. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Brace yourselves. Kind of long. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And we say, I'm dearly loved and I'm holy. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So if you have love, 
by default, you will be compassionate. If you have love, you will be kind. If you have love, you will be humble toward other people. If you have love, you will be gentle and you will be patient. If you have love, you will be able to forgive other people as Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 2. Be imitators of God. Come on, somebody. That's a command. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved, everyone say dearly loved, children and live a life of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of love says be an imitator of god and follow the example of christ who loved him who loved us and gave himself for us and he gave himself as an offering and as a sacrifice what does that tell us jesus loved us therefore he sacrificed for us therefore he gave for us a life of love is a life of sacrifice and giving following the pattern of Jesus, ultimately being an imitator of God. That's what Ephesians is teaching. Romans 12, 9, 1 through 10. Love must be sincere, not phony. I love you so much, jerk. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. A life of love is honoring other people above yourself. When you love somebody, simple definition of love It's warm affection and goodwill toward another person. So if I love somebody, I'm going to have a warm affection. I'm going to enjoy their company and and, and, and just enjoy them as, as a person. And then I'm going to have goodwill toward them. I'm going to want what's best for them. And to, to, to have the best for other people, sometimes you've got to put your own best aside. Amen? So we just want to answer the question, you know, who is my neighbor? We want to talk about loving people. Um, loving people is a powerful thing, guys. And um, I think the church tends to go into two extremes on loving people. Well, we either go into a powerless social gospel. We love people. And, and, and mind you, these are all good things. We feed, you know, feed the poor. Uh, we, 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 we clothe the naked, etc. And these are all the commands of Jesus. You know, we have feeding programs. We have homeless shelters. We do all these things for the poor, but we never preach to them the gospel. Some uh, missions organizations, not knocking anybody, but some missions organizations are not so much gospel-centered. They'll build wells and they'll do all these other great things for people. But these people can have clean water. They can be more educated. They can... Um, you know, have more food, they can have a better government, and they can have all that on their way to hell. Paul said the gospel is the salvation of everybody, not, not a water well, not a feeding program. It's the gospel that's going to save these people. It's the best thing you could do for anybody is preach them the gospel, but that brings us to the other opposite, truth without love. So we have one extreme that's a powerless social gospel, the other extreme, truth without love, hammering people over the head with your faith until they say, I don't want to be a Christian. You're just mean and judgmental. And, and that validates the picture that the world paints of us. Now, you don't, you don't want to validate what the world says about, about Christians, do you? Do you want to bring reproach to Christ? No, we don't want to bring reproach to Christ. So we have Metro Praise. We have a, a two-fold definition of loving people. We help people and, and, and meet their needs in their time of need, such as the Good Samaritan. He had a need. What did he need in the, in the, in the uh, parable, guys? Trick question, pop, pop quiz. He needed mercy. Jesus, he asked, who, who is, was his neighbor? He said the one who showed him mercy. The Samaritan was in need of mercy. 
You know, you can ask yourself, what are the people around you in need of and how can you meet that need? So you have the twofold meeting people's needs and then preaching to them the gospel. You can do both. You can have a feeding program. You can have a water well. You can have medicine. You can have, uh, uh, you know, teach the kids in, un- in uneducated countries, teach them how to read and all that stuff. But you preach to them the gospel. Christ is your foundation. Amen. Amen. And w- we got to understand loving people is so integral. You know, it's tied. All, all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about loving God and loving your neighbor. It's all in the same, it's all in the same uh, pericope, as one of my professors would say. It's all in the same pericope, loving God and loving people. You can't love people unless you love God. You can't truly do it. Loving upward is loving outward. Loving vertical upward toward God is, it, it must be expressed loving outward. toward other people. We can't be in here doing Holy Ghost jumping jacks, you know, Holy Ghost snow angels running all over the place, soaking, getting in the river, just... I see some of y'all in that soaking time. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But if you go out there and you're short with your wife, if you go out there and you slander somebody, if you go out there and you cut off somebody and you're just, just, just... What is the point of that? I get so convicted. I get in the Lord's presence and I come out... And just something my wife says just, just sets me off. How, do, how was I just in God's presence a minute ago loving on God and I can't love somebody else? The, the two are incompatible. So we're going to talk about <clears throat> the first. We're going we're gonna to put this categorically. Everybody's my neighbor. Say everyone's my neighbor. We're going to put this categorically. Uh, the, the first category would be loving people in the church, and a lot can be said for that. A lot of those verses I read actually refer to loving people in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the mark of a true Christian, or it's the sign of a false Christian. Uh, one, in First John, you know, he said that, that no one, anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates is a murderer. John, John is, is pretty much saying it there. He says you're a liar if you hate your brother. If you say you love God and you hate your brother who you can't, you, you love God who you can't see, hate your brother who you can't see, you're a murderer. The truth is not in you. It's indicative that you are a Christian or it's indicative that you're not a Christian if you don't have it. That's love for other Christians. You love the church. They're not hypocrites. I mean, there's bad apples, but you say the church is all hypocrites. That's the bride of Christ. You insult my wife, call her a hypocrite. You know? Say she's somebody else uh, behind the scenes or something. I'm gonna I'm gonna take issue with that. That's the same with Jesus. I love the church. I love believers of every denominational background. I love Metro Praise and the people God has placed in my life. Look to John 13 verse 34. I'm just gonna read it. You can write it down if you're taking notes. John 13 verses 34 and 35. He says, "A new command I give you: Love one another." As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So as Jesus loves us, so I love others. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So think about that. That's, that's indicative. Are you a true Christian? It's going to be shown in your love for other Christians. You're going to love fellowship. You know, you're, you're going to love to be around. And, and the antonym of, of love for Christians is, is covered throughout the whole New Testament. Division, slander, envy, selfish ambition, prideful independence. This is not love for Christians. 
rogue renegade Christians who live their lives like this, having their rogue Bible studies where they where they slam every pastor in every church they've been to. That's not Christian. That's not godly. It's not right. And, and Paul, First Corinthians twelve, he says we're a body. He says every part needs the other. He says, oh, well, I'm not an eye, so I'm not part of the body, or I'm not a foot, so I'm not part of the body. No, you're a part of the body. And you can't, you can't disregard another part of the body, our unmentionables. You know, He talks about the less honorable parts of our body. They're more clothed with honor. And then those that don't need as much honor, you know, they're, they're, they're presented outright. And he's talking about the different, the different roles and functions. Everybody has a place in this church. Say, I have a place here. And there's a sense of interconnectedness. Just reading out of that passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part of the body suffers, every part of the body suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Romans 12 says rejoice with those who uh, rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. There's a sense of interconnectedness with others. This is my family in Christ. Uh, There was a brother, I, I asked him once, he said, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And he said, well, I have two sisters and two brothers. And I said, that's a devil's lie. I said, you have billions of brothers and sisters all over the world living and dying for Jesus. We have a family here. If one part of the body suffers, we suffer with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's the reason you see Pastor Joe, he builds relationships with other pastors and churches. Why? Because we're not in competition we're not jealous of the church down the street that's, that had a, has a great grand opening or a great Easter service or somebody got uh, healed and, and got demons cast out of them. We're, we're not jealous. We're not in competition. Why? We rejoice when they rejoice. That's good. Jesus is glorified. Our king is glorified. The head of the body is exalted. You know, uh, one of the things, just putting a practical spin on this, everyone's on Facebook. You know, sometimes you see christians biting and devouring each other on facebook and then and then your unsafe friends see that i mean come on somebody biting and devouring each other on facebook just blasting other christians blasting churches blasting pastors we see it plastered on the internet this social network thing is huge guys there's like millions and billions of users on facebook and people see that People see us bite and devour each other. People see us in our selfish ambition. People see us in our slander, and we claim to be people of God. And so we we got to do away with that. Just say, I'm going to love the church. Amen. And, and that doesn't mean we never have disagreements. No, that doesn't mean that, you know, we we never get let down or disappointed. We're all people here. But, but we love and uphold our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love and honor our leaders. I just want to give some... Practical ways to love Christians. Rides to church. How many got a ride to church tonight? Jeremiah, Brian. Yeah, there he is. Guy's got rides to church. Somebody loved on you. Say someone loves me. Rides to church, holy handshakes. How many know what a holy handshake is? You know, know, hey, brother, I just want you to know I love you. God is with you. God is... For you, man, his blessings on your family. Just slip that guy a 20 or a 50. And you know why? Because the Lord put it on my heart. You know, somebody needs that. Come on, somebody. You see somebody with a need. Not, 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 let's use wisdom. You know, 
Don't let your own family starve where you're trying to bless everybody else. That's not right, that Mr. Spiritual. But we're, but, but we're going to bless somebody. We see a need and we meet it. Amen? Holy handshakes, opening up your home. There's all sorts of ways. We have young people that, that are being taken in by members of our church, by our leaders. Why? Because that's love. That's, that's, that's the body of Christ loving and upholding each other. So, so one of the ways and, and one of the most distinct ways that we love is that we love Christians. Everyone say, just turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. And one of the other ways that we love people is we love on our families. Now, I'm not going to preach a sermon on families about husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, and children. I'm not, I don't want to do that right now. It's a sermon unto itself. I don't even feel qualified to speak on that. I will say this, though. From my experience and from, you know, the Bible, basic stuff like Ephesians 5, and the word says, you know, submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. And I've learned that life in a family, especially a Christian family, is a life of submission. It's a life of giving up. It's a life of sacrifice. Wives submit their vote, so to speak. They submit their, their say in things. And that's not to say they don't have a say, but the husband is trusted as a leader to make that decision. Husbands. How many husbands we have in here? We have two husbands. Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen that, that husbands got to sacrifice their, their man cave time? They got to sacrifice their me time and love on their wives. Why? Because you're not your own anymore. You got a wife. You got to take care of her. Like you take care of any other thing. You, like you take care of your car. Like you take <laughs> But seriously, if you neglect your car, it breaks down. You neglect your marriage, it breaks down. You neglect your children, they rebel. And and they don't and they don't know God. Come on. That is that 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 is something that you're tied to for the rest of your life. And love is always a choice. It's not always easy to love, but love is and it's and it's sacrificial love. The Bible says of husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, sacrificing as He did for her. It's not easy. You think it was easy to go to the cross? He said, "I don't want to go to the cross, Father. You know, let this cup pass from me." Lord, I don't want to go to this chick flick. Let this cup pass for me. Mr. Spiritual. I didn't want to preach on loving family, so I'm going to move forward from that. But loving unsaved family. How many got some unsaved family members? People who don't know God. Simple like this. Uh, and this especially applies maybe to teenagers if you're living on your parents' roof. And, and I learned this. I remember one time I was uh, I was woken up in the spirit, so to speak, three in the morning, and I started praying. And before you know it, I started singing. And before you know it, I started shouting. This is where I live with my mom, my and my mom's house. And before you know it, I started rebuking the devil. And the second I was rebuking the devil on my mom's behalf, Satan, get your hands off my mom! You can't ever in the name of Jesus. And then I hear, "Shut up! God can hear you." I've I've heard many many men of God say, you know, teenagers, your your parents are not impressed that you speak in tongues and cast out demons. They're impressed that you clean your room and that you get good grades and are obedient. Um, and the same goes for me. I don't live with my parents anymore. I don't, but I have family that don't know the Lord. They know where I stand. Not everybody has has gotten that witness yet. You know, 
I haven't sat down with everybody and had that personal conversation with them. Lord willing, uh, those doors open up and he gives me the words for them. But you preach to them, you love on them, you do good for them, and you keep on praying. Remember, no on, uh, prophet is honored in his, own, in his own town. They rejected Jesus in Nazareth. Why? Because they all knew him growing up. They know Jesus who played hopscotch. Uh, the, you know, some of the women in the town babysat Jesus when he was younger. They didn't respect Jesus. They didn't honor Jesus. My sister, my family, aunts and uncles look at me and say, you know, a few months ago, you know, you were smoking pot and doing this, that, and the other. Now you're trying to preach to me? They, 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 they aren't ready to receive it. So what do I do? Hey, this, this, is, this is what it is. This is what I stand for. This is what I believe. I invite you to come have a relationship with God. To go to heaven and not to hell. <laughs> come on, somebody. To go to heaven and not to hell. And, and, and that's it. If they, if they got questions, let them ask you. Let them come to you. Keep loving on them. Keep, you know, Jesus said, if you love each other, you'll be my disciples. People would know that. They would know you by that. And, and keep living that life that they'll just be jealous of. Come on, let's make them jealous. And keep praying. Never stop praying for your lost family. God will break through. Amen? Another uh, category of people, so to speak, that we love on is our enemies. I'm going to say love your enemies. Matthew 5, verses 43. Uh, just turn with me. Say amen when you're there. I'll give you guys a second. Okay, I'm just going to start here. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and send rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And tax collectors, uh, why is he saying that? It just in case you're wondering, tax collectors were just despised by people. Like you think of maybe like drug dealers, like, oh, you already know it's a bad character. Tax collectors in the same way were thought of as bad people. They, they, they worked for the Roman government, and they often extorted and exploited people for their money. So people, you know, that's that's how Jesus uses that analogy there. Are not even tax collectors loving their own family? Anybody can love their own wife, kids, and dog. Come on, somebody. And if you only greet your brother, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So what is Jesus saying here? You know, we, we can we, we can love people who are easy to love. Can I get an amen that some people are hard to love? And, and, and that some people just offend you and that some people have wounded you deeply and that some people, may, maybe even some of them are Christians or profess to be Christians to this day and there's still just something between you guys that's just not right. I exhort you in Jesus' name, according to just the commands of the Bible, I can show you Romans 12 and other places in the Bible where we talk about forgiveness, loving your enemies, blessing those who persecute you and despitefully use you. Learn forgiveness. Play blessings over your enemies. Pastor Joe said it like this. You know you've forgiven somebody. You know you're free from bitterness or jealousy against somebody. If you can say, Lord, bless them, bless so-and-so, my enemy, more than you would bless me. Come on. And just maybe some name or somebody's just floating around your head right now. God bless them. 
more than you would bless me. Holding offense keeps you from God. Make it right while you can, even if the other person won't. Earlier on in in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about if you present an offering at the altar and you realize a brother has something against you, go back and make it right. Then present your offering. Well, in the same way, people come and we worship and we get into prayer in our in our private times, our prayer closets, and we just realize there's an offense and we realize that not all is well. The Bible says that as much as possible, live at peace with everybody. And you realize you don't have peace with somebody. Make it right. He goes on to say in that chapter, you know, go to your adversary as soon as possible. In fact, I'm just going to read it right now just to put a holy fear in you. Say, I'm afraid. Come on, somebody. Matthew verse uh, 25. 5 verse 25. I have a Bible and not an app. Everyone says he's doing it old school. Red letters of Jesus here. He says, saddle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Settle it with your adversary. There's sometimes people will be just so hard-headed and stubborn, they won't want to settle it with you. Say, well, I love you anyway. I bless you. I pray God bless you more than you bless me. Settle it with your adversary. There might come a time when it's too late. Everyone's going to meet Jesus. I'm not speculative on the day when Jesus is coming back, signs in the end times. I believe it's soon. But I believe it's even sooner for anybody who gets hit by a bus tonight. Amen? You're going to meet Jesus. He's going to call you to account. You're going to get handed over to the judge. And the judge will hand you over to the officer. And the officer will throw you into prison. And you won't get out until you paid off your debt. But you can't pay off your debt. Bitterness. Everyone say forgive or perish. Matthew 18. I won't get into it. It's a long parable. He talks about uh, there was was a man and he owed the equivalent of millions of dollars uh, to another man. And he begged that man because in those days they had what was called debtor's prison. If you owed somebody a debt. You didn't go, um, you know, call Peter Francis Geraci, you know, get his bankruptcy tapes. You didn't, you know, file bankruptcy. What you did was you got thrown in a debtor's prison or you were made a servant until you paid off that person whom you owed. So he goes to this guy. Hey, man, I'll pay everything I owe you, man. I promise. I promise. Just don't take my wife and kids. Don't throw me in prison. I know I owe a lot of money. Look, man, please, please, please. Guy lets him go. Guy forgives his debt completely. He goes to another guy who owes him five dollars. He's like, "Hey, fool, get over here!" Chases him on his bike through the hood, beats him down for five dollars. The other servants see it; they report it to the man to whom he owed millions. And that man says, "says to that guy, you know, I I forgave you all that all that debt, and you couldn't even forgive him that little debt." It's the same way God forgives all our sins. We can't forgive the petty sins of brothers. And he said in that parable, tie him hand and foot. Throw him in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everyone say, forgive or perish. You have to love your enemies. This is a mandate of Christ. You can't live in unforgiveness. We can't live in bitterness. We can't live in that place where we, where, if people want to be our enemies, that's their prerogative. 
If they want to go to hell with the devil and be mad, that's their prerogative. But I'm going to live at peace with everybody. Amen? And you know what? Practically speaking, anytime you have a quarrel with somebody, be humble. I've learned uh, some of the, the nicest words you can say are, I'm just really sorry. Even if, you, even if the other person was wrong for 90% of it or 95% of it, just find that 5% you were wrong about. I'm usually, I'm usually in that boat. Find that 5% because I'm you know, such a nice guy. Find that 5% you were wrong about and say, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that, man. I, sh- I shouldn't have reacted like that. And leave it at that. If they want to be mad, that's on them. I'm going to be blessed and happy and have nothing between me and the Lord because I went to my adversary and I made it right. I went to my brother. Now I can go to the altar, offer up my, my, my praise, offer up my worship, offer up my thanksgiving, offer up my prayers, and there's no offense, no bitterness to, to hinder me. Can someone say amen? We can love our enemies. Now, guys, this goes to the conclusion. This is loving everybody. I'm going to say loving everybody. I gave you some recipes. Now I'm going to give you fire to cook. Do you want the easy bake oven for Jesus? Or do you want the, the, the fire brick oven cooking up pizza pies for the Lord and his glory? How many want the easy bake oven for Jesus? Nope. <clears throat> We're going to love everybody. The fact is, you know, I categorized, uh, you know, people we know. But then there's everyone else we don't know. And we're never, ever going to see a a, a Jesus revolution. We're not going to see revival. And people will never know the love of God unless we express it to them. You know, Moody said, uh, D.L. Moody said that, you know, 99 people, out of 99 people, one person will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. Did I say that right? Out of 100 people, 99 read the, 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 the Christian. Only one reads the Bible. They read us. You know, we say Jesus loves you. And people don't even care anymore. But I tell you, that's powerful. The love of God is powerful. And it's something that we got to express. So just going back to that question, going back to Luke 10 and who is my neighbor, he wanted to justify himself when he asked that, by the way. Why? Because he had a certain penchant, I think that's the word, toward racism. He had racism towards Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans went at it like cats and dogs. Jews were the full-blooded, you know, people of Israel. Uh, Samaritans were these half-blooded people. You know, they were mixed up with the Gentiles, and they just rejected them. They hated them. It was, it was a form of racism, you know. Has anyone ever experienced racism, by the way? Just, you don't maybe you don't have to raise your hand, but that's what it was. And he thought, well, everyone's my neighbor except them Dang some Samaritans, always you know playing in my garden, st- stepping on my grass. Those Samaritans, you know what I'm saying? And so, they're, they're, so he wants to justify himself. Who's his neighbor? Well, they're they're, they're Israel's, are good Jews. He tells the parable of the uh, of of the good Samaritan, and, and and there was a Levite, there was a priest, there was a man on the road, and he there was a man on the road. He got he got beaten on the road to Jericho. A priest passed by, he's a religious person, a Levite passed by. This is a very distinguished man of, of Judah, of Judea. They both passed by. But who showed him mercy? It was the Samaritan. It was the guy that wasn't supposed to like him. And he, I don't like you, you don't like me. Some people have that relationship. I don't like you, you don't like me. I don't like those people. And they don't like me, I guess. I don't like to be around them anyway. But I love them. 
Amen? There's this sense, though, we can walk by. We don't want to be the priest. We don't want to be the Levite. Because they walk by, they see someone in need, and they walk by. And we're, we're, we're in a, such a world where it's out of sight, out of mind. We get exposed to so much. It's been said that a teenager, by the time he, he graduates high school, is exposed to 70,000 murders through the media. Come on, people getting killed in movies and video games and in, in music, exposed to 70,000 murders. We get desensitized. We hear of genocide. We hear of famine. We hear of all these things. We hear of broken families. We see news reports. I heard of a news report just a, a you know a kid putting a, a a dog cage, beaten to death by his family. And um, you know we might get that on your little homepage on the internet, and and we and we go right past it. We go back to Facebook. Come on, somebody. There's a communist China in the 20th century. The 20th century has seen a lot of genocides. It's seen a lot of uh, just just mass murders. Chairman Mao Zedong was the was the revolutionary guy that brought communism to China, and they they did horrific things to their own people. The same could be said of uh, Joseph Stalin in Russia and the Soviet Union. They did horrific things to their own people. They killed more of their own people, and Hitler killed the Jews. A lot of people don't know that. And when asked about it. Uh, uh, Chairman Mao is quoted as saying, well, we have so many Chinese anyway. You know, what's, what is it to lose maybe a, a million or two? And there is. China has almost a billion people. China and India are kind of vying for the most populated country on the planet. So many people. That's why uh, Chinese people can only have two babies. Well, we have so many Chinese anyway. That is such a godless look at things. God made everybody. Everyone say, God made me. Look at your neighbor and say, God made you too. That's a holy and a sacred thing. Guys, I just want to give you some fire to cook on. That's, that's such a godless thing, but that's kind of how we look at things. That's kind of how cold we can be and how indifferent we can be to the sufferings of people. You know, I'm on Facebook. Again, just bringing that up because it's so relevant to where we are. And, you know, you see people. I, I have people I never even met on Facebook. How many have those? And and then they have friends who they never met. And so I just click on my on my you know on my Facebook and there's somebody, hey, uh I have this prayer request, hey, I have cancer, or hey, I got or someone so and so got in a car accident, pray for them. And then I click like. Well not 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 really, but dude, how thoughtless are we? Somebody's going through the trial of our, our of, of their lives and they don't even care. We 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 really We'll say, we'll say a little prayer for them. I'll say a little prayer for you. A little sentimental prayer. A little sassy prayer. Listen, that's cold-hearted. I'm going to say it again. That's cold-hearted. Proverbs 14, says, 14 verse 21 says, He who despises his neighbor's sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. That's a person with a need. Be kind to them. Don't despise your neighbor. Amen? Don't despise. Don't look coldly the other way when you see a homeless person, that wino. Because we make justifications in our head to, for our own coldness, for our own apathy, for our own indifference. And we, and we make justification for, well, he's just going to spend it on this. Well, get him a sandwich. Well, you don't have any money. Well, pray for him. Do something. Tell him Jesus loves him. Exhort him. Don't, don't give in. Don't give up the fight. Go to God. Come to our church. 
we can do something for anybody we see, I guarantee it. Having the light of Christ, having the gospel, we can do something for anybody we see, but we don't do it. Why? Because we don't see people the way God does. We see people the way Mao did. How he saw those Chinese, he didn't see them as people made by God. Communism is, is atheistic, by the way. So he, he, they're just animals. We're just people out here. There's just faces. That's just some stranger on Facebook, but they have cancer. You know, if I put that up and ask people to pray for me, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I honestly wouldn't expect that many people to. So maybe people I know. I only go on Facebook to post on my wife's wall. But I wouldn't expect that many people to actually care. I mean, honest. Because I look on that and, and, and so much is, is a blur to me. But we've got to learn to love people, amen? I'm going to read C.S. Lewis. I would not be insulting anyone's intelligence if I had to kind of interpret what he's saying because sometimes I don't understand him. But I want to just read this quote. And then I want to read Matthew, amen? And we're going to close and we're going to get into a time to reflect on the word. I'm going to read C.S. Lewis. Uh, how many know him? Wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Christian author, philosopher, thinker. Um, he says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods <clears throat> and goddesses. These are lowercase, not to say they'll literally be gods and goddesses, but to say uh, when people are resurrected, the Bible says we'll be like Jesus and we're going to be pretty awesome. Okay. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you may talk to, it might be the guy at Wendy's. All right. Who's the most dullest? How many talk to someone dull and uninteresting today? Might be the guy at Wendy's, might be somebody at work, you know, whoever. The, the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature. If you say it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. And he's saying, talking about how we would be like Jesus in the resurrection, how we're going to be in glorified bodies. So you'd be tempted like, whoa, he's awesome. Let's worship him. Or else a horror and a corruption such as now you meet, at if, at, if at all, only in a nightmare. He's talking about you would see them either as something glorious and beautiful or as something like a nightmare in hell. He's talking about heaven and hell. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics... There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as a, is, is a life of a net. And it talks, he's pretty much saying, all this is going to pass away. You know, even the United States, the Bible doesn't say that, the, that there's going to be, Uncle Sam is going to save Israel in the end times. I'm sorry, guys. Even the United States is going to pass you know, great nations, great kingdoms, great people, great thinkers, great musicians and philosophers. All that's going to pass. All these ideas, anything that's not of God is going to be shaken and it's going to crumble. These are mortal, but it is immortal, but it is immortals. He's talking about immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal terrors or everlasting splendors. Everybody out there is made by God. Mao didn't see that. He said, oh, we have so many Chinese. Who cares if we... Dude, those people were families. Those people were sons, daughters, aunts and uncles whom he killed in cold blood. And they were killed under his reign. He didn't see them the way Jesus did. How did Jesus see them? You want to see how Jesus saw them? Say, give me your eyes, Jesus. Turn to Matthew 9, verse 36. Some of you may know where I'm going with this. 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Everyone say compassion. Compassion is derived from common and passion. Passion is actually a term which means suffering. The passion of the Christ, for instance, means the suffering of the Christ, how he suffered for our sins. Amen? And compassion, common passion means I share in your passion. I share in your suffering because you are hurt. I hurt also. I pray that God would put in us a, a, a hurt and a heartache for, for a lost and dying world. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I did a little study uh, on Matthew, and this was at a point he's already done so much in this region, in, in Galilee, in Capernaum, in all these towns. He's already been through there. He's done a ton of miracles. He's taught. He gave the Sermon on the Mount. He cast out demons. He did every miracle. You can look categorically. He did every sort of miracle, Matthew 4 through Matthew 9. He did all these things, but he still saw these crowds. After all he'd done, there were still people in need. And he realized that, you know, Jesus said, if, if, if a kernel of wheat, unless it dies, it falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it does die, you know, it produces a multitude. So Jesus had to produce more like himself. He says, send out workers into his harvest field. Say, I'm that worker. There is a world. Just stand up for a moment. I'm going to start a time of prayer. We want to pray for the eyes of Jesus. Just reflect on that word. We want to pray for a common passion, a, a common suffering. We don't want to look cold-heartedly. We don't want to be apathetic. We want to love brothers and sisters in the church. We want to love our families that don't know God. We want to love our enemies. We want to love everybody else because you love them, Jesus. If you're lacking, if there's someone you're not loving on tonight, cry out to God because he loves them. He died for them. Lost, sheep, harassed, helpless. God, give us compassion. Hallelujah, Lord. to reflect the word God just ask God to give you the heart to love the way he loves so the next five minutes or so we're just going to sit quiet before the Lord and just stand in your heart that God just take any sort of bitterness or any sort of uh, unforgiveness grudge that you might have somebody that, that, you know, that you're not loving so right now is the time to reflect just reflect the word Say, Jesus, give me a heart to love.